Well, welcome, uh, church family. Good to be here together with you on this Good Friday. And uh, we have a good turnout tonight, so thank you for um, getting home from work and, or getting here on time, and really appreciate it. I, I think we're going to have a, just a wonderful opportunity to just reflect on this Good Friday. Um, it sounds like a strange you know, phrase, Good Friday, when, when you think about what it is that we're here to uh, meditate on, what we're here to celebrate in one sense. Uh, it's good. It's a good Friday. It's a good Friday because this is one of the most significant events in history. This, this day that we celebrate on this Friday uh, transformed us and changed the course of our eternity and has forever changed uh, countless lives of those who know Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, speaking from Galatians chapter 6, 4, he said this, he said, Far be it from me that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he said that his primary purpose uh, was to boast, not in himself or anything else that he had done, but to boast in the, in the, in the cross of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and our title today is When Boasting is Due. When boasting is due. A lot of times we think that boasting isn't really appropriate at any time. But for Paul, he said, there's a, there is a, something that we should be boasting about. And that's our uh, celebration and our boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so the big idea for our, our message today is the cross forever alters how we view ourselves and God's grand design. The cross forever has changed things, the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about God and his ways. And so I want to talk about five reasons for boasting and why that boasting is appropriate and due. And so our first point that I want to look at is this, that the cross was no accident. The cross was not an accident. A lot of times when we think about the cross, or we think about Jesus dying on the cross, we think about what happened, we think what a tragic event, what a horrible thing that happened, and at one level, yes, it's, it's, it was just showed the, the evilness of the hearts of men, and the opposition to, to God, and the, the desire to destroy the message of Jesus Christ. But the cross was no accident. Hundreds of years before Jesus came on this earth in Isaiah, the prophet, he said in chapter 53, verses 4 and 6, he says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so hundreds of years before Jesus had even had his human birth, it was already prophesied that this was coming. This cross was coming. This, this terrible death was going to happen. And it said that there was a purpose here that he was going to be crushed, he was going to be pierced, he was going to be wounded for our sins, for our transgressions, for our iniquities. And even though we are straying people, 
and we know what's right, and we know how we should live, and even though we've been taught well, every one of us, he says, has gone astray. We've turned to our own ways, and the Lord, it says, laid on him our iniquity, the iniquity of us all. But we see that this was no accident. Later on in that chapter, in Isaiah 53.10, it says, Yet it was the will of the, of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, he shall proclaim his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It says it was the will of God to crush him. This was not an accident. This was not just because evil had gotten so bad that it was able to overcome Jesus there at that time. There's a translation called the message, and that verse 10, it says it this way. It says, still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it, life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. This was not an accident. This was the Father's plan. Jesus, crying out in Gethsemane, said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he, and he, he, he followed the Lord's plan. Ephesians 5 says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It was his purpose to glorify God by fulfilling this plan, this particular prophecy, this particular divine strategy, design. This was God's way of bringing about his plan. So the first reason that we can boast is we can boast that this was not an accident. This was this this death, this cross, was intentional. And the second purpose that we can, uh, we can look to is the cross was the basis of our justification. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The cross was the basis of our justification. It says that we, in God's mind, were the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. It goes on, it says, God shows his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, if we are to think biblically about ourselves, we were falling short. We were the enemy. We were transgressing. We were the ones who broke his law. We were the enemies of God. We were the ungodly ones. We were still sinners. And yet God shows his love by going after sinners, by dying for us. 
And it says that he saved us from the wrath of God. That was the just punishment. When we think about justice, we should understand that God says justice would have brought death for us and God's wrath for us. But in verse 9, it also says this. It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. We've been justified by his blood. You see, the cross is the basis of our justification. The cross is the basis of our justification. I've heard people talk about the word justification before, and you know, when it talks about how we've been justified because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I've heard people use this, this phrase or this definition, uh, justification means just as if I've never sinned. But that's really an inadequate definition because that would mean you've gone back to being innocent. If, you just, if, you, if you've never sinned before, that means you're, you, you just, you have a blank slate. But Jesus Christ came to earth to live a righteous life, to, to earn a perfect righteousness. And then the Bible says that he exchanged his righteousness for our sinfulness. So not only were we forgiven, but we've also been declared righteous. And that's what, that's what happened here at this cross. There was an exchange that happened. Your sin and my sin was placed on Jesus Christ there at the cross, and he was judged as a sinner. And he gave you and I the righteousness that he'd earn. And the cross is the basis for that justification. And it was a just payment for him to die. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says this, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There needed to be a death in order for there to be forgiveness of our sins. And later on in Hebrews, it says this, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so that shed blood, that shed blood for us, perfected us judicially. By a single offering, he has perfected, that's past tense, for all time those who are being sanctified. And so that's interesting because in God's mind, when he looks at you and I, he can treat us as though we've never sinned and we are just and, we are just and righteous. But at the same time, it says that we are being sanctified and he knows that we still sin, so he's in the process of transforming us. And we'll see how that's going to happen because of this cross as well. Our big idea again, the cross forever alters how we view ourselves and God's grand design but we're going to sing first. You know, there's other, there's other um, reasons why we can boast in this cross. And a third reason we can boast in this cross is the cross disarmed the rulers and authorities. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 says this, And you, when you were dead in your, trans, uh, in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. 
So it says that, again, our condition was we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he made us alive together with him. And he canceled a record against us. There was a, if, if you were, a list of offenses that you and I had committed in our treasonous life against God, ways that we had uh, broken his law, ways that we had rebelled against him. And yet, it says that he canceled that record of debt and he nailed it to the cross. It's as if, as if everything that you and I have done, are doing, will ever do, the things that are shameful, the things that are embarrassing, the things that, are, that make you grieve, the things that you have hardened your heart to, all those things, God saw those things, and he nailed those to the cross with Jesus, and then God judged his son for all those sins. And if he had not done that, we have adversaries that will let us, will remind us of those things. Uh, one of the, the names for the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And when you are accused on and on and on about your sin, the way that you fall short, the things that you have done and continue to do, it says that Jesus Christ, because of the cross, he disarmed them. Those rulers, those authorities who bring those charges up against you, many of those charges they bring against you are legitimate. They're true. You have done those things. You have continued in some of those things. And yet, because those things were nailed to the cross along with Jesus, they were judged at the cross with Jesus, they were paid for in full at the cross of Jesus. And so, he has eliminated their charge. He's disarmed them. They have no power to bring up that charge before a holy God. They cannot stop you or, or God from justifying you because those things have already been dealt with judiciously, righteously. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this, this battle that we have with these rulers and authorities. It says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And they've been, they've, they've been put, to, put aside and Jesus Christ is now triumphing over them. In the days that these things were written, you know, a, a conquering army would bring those captives back by, and behind them and, and they would be brought in in chains. Jesus has triumphed over your and my uh, enemies, these rulers and authorities who would bring these charges against us. And this is what the cross has enabled for us. This is the benefit of the cross to us. And the fourth benefit to us is the cross has freed us from the slavery to sin. We've talked about our sin. We've talked about the, how, how much that grieves us, how much it, it weigh, has weighed on us. We've talked about the charges that come against us. But actually, the cross has freed us from the slavery to sin. In Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, it says, 
For we have been united, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The one who has died has been set free from sin. And if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. See, the benefit of the cross is not just that you were forgiven and not just that you're going to heaven, and those would be amazing in and of themselves. But he's triumphed over rulers and authorities, and he's also broken the power of sin in our lives through the cross. Because all these benefits come to us because, it, as you see here in the scriptures, that's because it's in him, it's in Christ. That because we are united with Jesus Christ in his death, sin no longer has the same power over you. Do you still experience temptation? Absolutely. Do you still feel a tug towards saying and doing the wrong thing? Yes, we do. The penalty of sin has been obliterated because Jesus Christ paid for the penalty of sin, but the power of sin because of the cross has been broken. And you and I are no longer enslaved because of the cross. You and I are never uh, obligated to give in to the power of sin ever again because that is what the cross has done. And that's why we can boast in this cross because the cross has given us a victory, a power, because we have died with Christ, even as we will look in these next few days at the fact that we have been raised with Jesus Christ to new life as well. So the cross has freed us from slavery to sin. And lastly, the cross shows the wealth of his love and grace. There's so much that has come to us that we have received and inherited from the fact that Jesus went to the cross. There's so much love that we can meditate on. There's so much amazing power. There's so much position and inheritance that we have. There's so much blessing. When the Apostle Paul was starting his letter to the Ephesians, he just, again, he gets caught up in these moments. We talked about that last week. Todd was sharing with us how he breaks into these moments of just joy and ecstasy. And he says this in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, you see his grand design that we should be holy and blameless before him because of this cross. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. That's because of this cross. According to the purpose of his will, his design, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. He has such a wealth of grace that he is pouring out to us now, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, 
This way that we would never think of, oh, to coming to God through a cross, through a death, through the death of the righteous one, the holy one, the son of God. Making us know the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Brothers and sisters, do you see this? Do you see how uh, really seeing the cross for what it is and what it has brought for us? Do you see why it's Good Friday? (laughs) Do you see why the Apostle Paul was boasting in the cross? Because the cross forever alters how we view ourselves and God's grand design. I had the joy of going to be with uh, several of our dear saints who are shut in and can't get out. They're maybe in hospitals and are unable to join us. And we had a time of uh, just sweet fellowship together as we uh, took some time to break bread together. And that's always a highlight of our, of our time together. You know, the night before Jesus went to the cross was his last time with his disciples. And he said that was the last time he was going to drink of the fruit of the vine until he, he does it with all of us. There's coming a day that we'll get to be on the next meal that Jesus has with his disciples in terms of having that remembrance of his, his body and his blood. But here at Grace Community Church, we, we practice open communion, which means you don't need to be a member of this church. Um, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your hope is in him alone for your salvation. You believe in him as, as being God's son uh, who came and lived a perfect life, offered himself to die on a cross for our sins, was killed and buried, rose from the, from the grave on the third day, uh, and he's ascended to be with his father. Um, if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, your trust is in him. He is your savior. Uh, you are welcome to this time of communion together. Um, if you have children, uh, we would encourage you to, and, and if they believe, obviously they can join along with you, but if, they, if they're not yet there, um, you can exp- this is a good opportunity to explain to them you know, what's going on because really the communion, the bread and the cup are for those who've put their trust in him. And, uh, and you can encourage them to just listen and watch and you could talk about it with them today or you could talk about it later, later on today. But um, what we're going to do is in just a few moments here, we're going to have the, the worship team come first and, uh, and take the, the bread and the cup after I, um, after I pray for the elements. And, uh, and then they will move to the stage and they will begin to uh, have a, a meditative time. And so this is an appropriate time for us to think about how our life is uh, in terms of are we walking with him? Have we confessed to him if we've been away from him, if we've strayed away from him, if if our life is not really uh, humbly walking with him in obedience and desire to serve him? This is a, a, a this is a humbling time and a reflective time, and there's a there's an appropriate way of how we take the the bread and the, and the cup 
in these moments. We, we should take it in a way that, not that we could earn this, but we want to be walking in transparency before God and say, oh God, I've strayed from you. Or God, I've, I've not put my hope in you. I've, I've turned away from you. I've doubted you. I've, I've not spent time with you. Or whatever it is that comes to your heart, I would encourage you to let this be a reflective moment for you to just prepare your heart. And then as you feel led, um, this will be open. We have, we have the, the, the wine and the, the bread on both sides. We have some gluten-free options if that's what you need or would like. Um, and also we have some other cups you know, available too if you just want to take it from the, the cup. But um, as you feel led, we're going to have a few songs, a couple songs um, you can come as you, as you choose during that time. You can spend some time here kneeling or standing here in this, in this space. You can go back to your seat, however you like. But it's just an opportunity for us to just reflect on him and, and what he's done for us. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the account from Mark. It says this. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, sent two of his disciples, and they said, go to the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I might eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare it for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve and they were reclining the table and eating. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. They again began to be sorrowful and say to him, and say to one another, is it I? And he said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank all of it. And he said to them, This is my blood for the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I, truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So if I could have the worship team come first. Lord, your life was not taken from you. And though you obeyed the will of your Father, you said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own free will. So Jesus, looking into the judgment cup that you saw that was coming, where you would be judged as a liar, as a murderer, as a rapist, as a drug dealer. 
you would be judged as one who had committed horrendous acts of sin, who had hardened hearts for those who had turned away from you and rebelled against you, for those who were indifferent towards your plans, for those who had walked away from you, for those who denied you, who cursed you, who blasphemed you, who loved other things more. You still chose us. While we're yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you for this bread. Lord, set it apart in our hearts and minds. Sanctify it. Bless the hearts and minds of these believers and these people who are here today. Bless them that they might see and comprehend the love of God. And what amazing grace that you have made available to us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for the blood that was shed for us. Thank you for this blood that was sufficient one time to be, to be offered to pay for all of our sin, for all our lives. Thank you. And if you happen to be here and this is, you've not yet put your hope in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let this be a time of reflection. Let this be a time of you considering your need and as, as we all need, one to save us from the penalty of our sins. If you would like to discuss that with someone, we'd love to talk with you about that. But if you understand that you can just turn to Jesus and turn away from your own way, from your independent way, from your foolish way, and put your hope in him as Savior, put your trust in him, you can do that by just asking him now. So reflect and come and receive. <laughs>